Um, my name is Josh Williams. Uh, if you're new here, um, I'm a church planning resident, and, which means I get to serve under the care and leadership of all the elders of our church here at CRC. And so my hope at some point, and not at some point, in 2021, the spring of 2021, to plant a church in West St. Paul. And so that's, that's a part of my role, that as, as I'm here serving here, I'm also preparing to plant a church there. So if you're interested in what it looks like to plant in West St. Paul, I'd love to connect with you after service, so just, just come find me. I'll, I'll be hovering on the ground, but hovering um, outside, in the auditor- outside in the auditorium or in the, in the hallways. But, but yeah, one of the ways I get to serve is I serve our pastors, actually, and you guys is to preach on Sundays. So I get to fill in every once in a while, and anytime I preach, I'm going to preach on Colossians. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Colossians. We'll be in chapter 1, um, verses 15 through 23. And as you get there, I, I want to tell you why Colossians, because I realized two sermons in, we've, we've done two sermons in Colossians, and I've never really told you why Colossians. And so let me tell you why Colossians really quick. I think Colossians really hits us where we're at in our culture today. Because our world, I think, is really grasping for hope in, in a whole bunch of different places. Because we move on from one hope to the next. One hope is never enough. One, it's kind of like food or, or an instant pleasure. You, you use it, and then all of a sudden you need to go on to another one. So the gospel kind of gets treated as if it's this Christmas present. Almost as if, like, you know that present that you get that you've been really possibly excited for, but then all of a sudden, after a while, it kind of uses its, loses its flavor. It loses its kind of preciousness to you. And so I think the gospel gets treated like that often. I think after a while, it loses its appeal. So when I say the gospel, I particularly mean what Jesus has done on the cross to reconcile your heart and your broken relationship to God. That's what I mean when I say the gospel. And so the gospel kind of gets treated as, as, as a well, as if it could run dry, right? But then you go find another well. If, if the gospel runs dry, then you've got to go find another well to go drink from. And then often the, the gospel gets treated that way. But the author of this letter is saying that the gospel is a well that never runs dry. Never. It never runs dry. You don't move on from the gospel. There's enough there for you to feed on for the rest of your life. It's not lacking. Never is lacking. It is enough. It's not only enough, but it's the highest thing that you can hope in. It's the highest thing that you can put your hope in because of Jesus. Jesus is supreme and he's sufficient, meaning in that he's, he's the highest thing you can put your hope in, but he's enough. Like You can never get tired of Jesus if you see Jesus rightly. And so the gospel, I would say this way, it's simple but deep. It's not confusing. It's not complicated. It seems that way when you read the pages of Scripture. It's simple, but gosh darn it, it's deep. It's got deep roots. I mean, it takes you, it takes you really deep. You can never graduate from the gospel, ever. It's just kind of like high school. Some of you high school students in here, you're looking forward to being done with high school, to being done with your peers, but with Christ, you, you don't graduate from the gospel because you actually like Jesus, if you know him. <laughs> if you look at the gospel, you love Jesus. You start and you continue with the gospel. And it's because the gospel hangs, it hangs all on Jesus. And so I want to talk about Jesus this morning. It seems elementary. You probably say, hey, I know enough about Jesus. But I want to talk about Jesus this morning simply because our passage of Scripture talks about Jesus this morning. And I want to answer two questions. Who is Jesus? Could you answer that question right now? Boom, tell me. Don't say Jesus. Who is Jesus? And what does that mean for us? So if you understand who Jesus is, then I think you'll never let go of the gospel. If you understand who Jesus is, you'll never let go. And so before we get started, I want to pray, and then I'll I'll read our text. Will you pray with me? Father, 
Jesus, I love that you, you constant call us, constantly call us to yourself, um, that you really are a well that doesn't run dry. Just like the, the woman of the well in John 4, if, we knew who was, if, she, if she knew who was asking you to give her a drink of water, or to give a drink of water, she would have asked you who to give a drink of water, and you would give her a brook that would bubble up to eternal life. And so Jesus, I think, help me to really take your word this morning and to really make it simple and clear about who you are. Lord, I pray that you remove, I think, baggage that comes from talking about who you are. And I pray that you would help us to see who you are clearly this morning. And so open our ears to hear. God, make, make us expect and open our eyes to see clearly who you are. Because Jesus, we need, we need you. And and not only do we need you to, to hear, to, to, to really show us who you are, but Jesus, I need you to help me to speak clearly. I need you to help me to really unfold this. And so we can't receive you unless you help us and help us this morning to do that. In your name I pray. Amen. Starting in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, or all, yeah, all things to himself, himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So throughout the week, I use, I use a local caribou in West St. Paul as my office. And often I get a chance to, to talk with people about Jesus. And so last week, I was actually talking to this lady about the kind of church that I wanted to plant. And she wasn't a Christian, but she's, she's had some Christian experiences. She's had experiences in church and so I was telling her about the kind of people that I wanted to reach because of what, Jesus, uh, what kind of Jesus I saw in the Bible. And so she told me, she interrupts me, she says, well, I think Jesus is love. And then she kind of goes off to begin asking me questions of, of what kind of people would you accept? And what would you tell people in your church if they said they didn't accept certain people? And so I began to tell her that I agree with her. I, I do believe Jesus is love. But I reference to her something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. He says, Those who are well have no, no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so I explained to her the statement that Jesus was making, that Jesus considers everyone spiritually sick equally. Everybody. Everybody in this room is spiritually sick, apart from Jesus. Everyone is in need of a physician. And Jesus is saying that he's a physician. And so as I continue talking to her about Jesus, all of a sudden her face and her body expression just kind of shifts. <laughs> she didn't push back, which what I was expecting. But her eyes and her ears were locked into what I was saying to her about Jesus. She had never heard 
what I just told her about Jesus before. She never heard Jesus and seen Jesus that way. And so there was this part about Jesus that she really liked. She really loved about Jesus. But then there was this other part that she didn't know that was, un, that was new and unfamiliar to her. And it changed the way, I think, before me, that changed, that changed the way she saw Jesus. And so I think how you see Jesus will determine whether or not you go to him. If you're a Christian, your view of Jesus really affects how you worship him. I think how you, how you go to him. And I think even how you live. For example... Is coming to church a duty or a delight for you? Do you read your Bible out of obligation or because you want to enjoy Jesus? Do you pray only when you're in trouble or because you just love Jesus? You want to know Jesus. You want to be with Jesus. Does your life revolve around Jesus or is Christianity just another bumper sticker for you in your car? See, how you see Jesus affects how you answer those questions. Because regardless of how you see Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't change who he is. He is who he is. He defines who he is. He defines himself. You don't define him. But it matters how you see Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, who do you think Jesus is? What would you say? Who, who is Jesus? So it's not common, I think, for everybody to have their favorite part of Jesus. I think when we look at Jesus, there's, there's parts of him that we just love and we enjoy about Jesus. Some like the idea of Jesus being loving, merciful, and gracious. They have a hard time seeing Jesus being a judge or a ruler or an authority of that kind of nature. And others actually like that in a weird way. They kind of like the idea of Jesus kind of being like a shirtless Rambo who can just vanquish his enemies. They like the idea that he's ruler and judge. They like, they, they like the idea of seeing Jesus as this guy that will just always destroy people. And I'll admit that's kind of weird, but they, they like that part of Jesus. And they have a problem with seeing Jesus as loving and gracious and merciful. And so the problem with that is that you, you just can't, you really can't pick and choose who Jesus is. You just can't. He, he is who he is. And so it's actually to your benefit that you receive Jesus as he is. So during the time this letter was being written, there was a false teaching that elevated spiritual beings above Jesus, as if Jesus was just a man. Or just one of the many options to worship. The Christians Paul is writing to, they're tempted to believe that Jesus is just, there's something else better than Jesus, as if, as if they, they didn't reach the mark. And their view of Jesus, I think, was beginning to grow small. I think, I think what's important for you to know is that the smaller your view of Jesus, the weaker the, the gospel becomes to you. If you've got a small view of Jesus, you've got a small gospel. You've got small good news, you've got small hope, and it's really ineffective then. And so who do you think Jesus is this morning? How would you answer that question? In this passage, Paul wants to elevate their view of Jesus. And I think this passage for us this morning wants to elevate your view of Jesus. Because this text, man, I mean, I've, I've been reading it this week, and it's a bit of a lion of a text. I think it, it just puts the right fear view of Jesus as both someone who is strong and gentle. Just like that song said, Jesus is strong and kind. I love that. It kind of puts this perspective of Jesus as someone that you don't want to mess with, but he's also approachable. And so in this text, I think you see two things about Jesus, that he is Lord over creation and Lord over redemption. Those two points we're going to focus on. Jesus is Lord over creation and Lord over redemption. Let's look at the first point, verses 15 through 17. Again, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in him and 
uh, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him and through him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so so you, might, you might think I'm silly for saying this, but I think what we have here is a bit of a gospel sandwich. And I'm not saying that because I'm hungry. I think in here you see a bit of a sandwich going on. So let me explain this to you. Look at verse 13 and 14. At the end of verses 13 and 14, Paul tells you that Jesus is the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here's what you know about the gospel so far from these verses, that Jesus is the one who redeems people. In him, in him alone, is found the forgiveness of sins. So that's slice, bread slice number one, okay? This is bread slice number two coming up here. Look at, skip ahead to verse 20. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus, it says he reconciles all things. So Jesus, he, he writes all wrongs. He brings, he brings peace by the blood of his cross. And the way that he does that is he takes it to the grave with him. And by dying on the cross, he earns you forgiveness. So you got slice one, redemption, slice two, reconciliation. And in between those two things are two meaty truths about Jesus. And that's the first one, that Jesus, he's Lord over all creation. Look at verse 15 again. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Everything that God is, all that God is that you don't see of him is revealed in Jesus Christ. So when you think about God, it's, if you think about God, like how do you think of him? Do you, does he have characteristics about him? Do you, does a visual come to mind? Or does this kind of seem like this like being that, that's untouchable and hard to grasp? But what this is saying is Jesus reveals him. Hebrews 1.3 says, I'll put it on the screen. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God, the only God. He is at the Father's side. He, meaning Jesus, has made him known. I think what I love about the Gospel of John, really quick, if I can just add a little tangent. Then chapter 1, you kind of see this beautiful picture about God that, that God seems like far off in the beginning of the chapter, and then all of a sudden he comes near in the face of Jesus Christ. And so do you, you want to know what God is like? Do you, know, do you want to know who God is? You look right at Jesus. So let's look back at Colossians 1.15. And also says that he's the firstborn of all creation. Paul's goal here is not to say that Jesus was born, as if he never existed and now he exists because he's born. The following verses actually fix that up for you, makes it clear. Verse 16 says, by him all things were created. Verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He was at the beginning of creation. Jesus himself was at the beginning of creation. Proverbs 8.27 gives this picture of God using wisdom to create the universe. And it says, it's going to be on the screen, he, talking about God, established the heavens, and wisdom says, I was there. And what's cool is what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 1.24, he calls Jesus the wisdom of God. I.e. that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. Jesus was creating all things with the Father. So Paul's point here is to talk about Jesus' rights and privilege when he talks about him as a firstborn son. It's the rights and privilege of a monarch, which means that Jesus has the right to rule his father's kingdom in his place. So when Jesus comes to earth, the kingdom is here because the king is here. 
When Jesus is among his people, the king is with his people, among his people. Verse 16 and 17, I think, continue to tell you where, uh, what verse 15 means. It says, all things were created by him. It says, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, here it is. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is creator. Jesus is the agent of creation. And it's kind of like a superintendent. Nothing was created that didn't go by Jesus. Like everything that was created, he knew about it and says, check, yes and amen. And he's the goal. He's the goal of creation. He's the point of creation. Everything in creation was designed to point right to him. You sitting in the seats, created in the image of God, were created to point to him. There's not one person who won't look at you and just begin to wonder, is there a creator because how were you created? And so in Paul's time, people were really spiritual. I think just like people are today, angels were a big deal for Paul in this letter because he's dealing with some false ideas in Colossae about angels that, that seem to be more important to Jesus. But what Paul is saying here in these verses, right now talking about being um, ruler over all things, is that Jesus ranks higher than the angels. There's not one authority that, that's above him. He ranks higher over every single authority, physical and spiritual, visible and invisible. There's not one thing, not one thing in this world that sits above Jesus. There's not one world leader that's higher in rank above Jesus. There's not one nation, there's not one force that is stronger than Jesus. There's not one person in this whole world that is stronger than Jesus. And I might add, there's no superhero stronger than Jesus. There's not one breath that you and I can take. There's not one step that we can take. There's not one sweat droplet that would run off your head that doesn't happen without Jesus' say-so. You are sitting in your seat. Every cell, every particle, every fabric of your DNA is held together because Jesus holds you together. You are sitting put together because Jesus holds you together. If Jesus did not hold you together, you'd literally fall apart cell by cell without Jesus. Jesus holds you together. And here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's not even flexing while doing this. He's not even flexing. Like, it's not even a hobby. He can do it in his sleep. Whenever someone creates, or whatever someone creates, they sit as ruler and judge over it. And that means they get to decide what it's used for. They get to decide its boundaries. What this is saying is Jesus as creator sits as ruler and judge over everything that exists. Everything that exists. And I might might add, not just over this world, but everything outside of this world. Like, not just on earth, but in the heavens, in the universe, the whole, all the galaxy, Jesus owns them. And so I think think this can be hard to believe, because I think maybe you guys know of situations where it seems like Jesus isn't holding it together. Kind of like you kind of feel like Jesus is dropping the ball. But your current life situation, it doesn't mean that Jesus has lost sight of you. It doesn't mean that Jesus has, like, lost a grasp on what's going on. Our political climate doesn't mean that Jesus is absent. The continual spread of the coronavirus doesn't mean that God isn't ruling. Jesus isn't twiddling his thumbs. He's not sleeping on the job. He's not on vacation. He's ruling. And one day, Jesus will, he will right every wrong. He will make everyone give an account for what they have done. Jesus 
will make the creation new so that we no longer feel the effects of sin in our life. But right now, the question you need to be asking is how does Jesus use this authority as ruler and judge? And that's what our next verses talks about. Look at, look at how he moves towards humanity, how he moves towards you in these next verses, verses 18 through 20. It says, and he is the image or, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the church is the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually, every one of you, members of it. And so I think, I think that the word church gets kind of tossed around so much that it, that's easy to lose its, the, its impact. And so Christians are people who trust Jesus to save them from God's wrath. And if you're a Christian, hear this, you are part of Jesus. You are one with Jesus. And the church is not a building or a location. This is not church because we're in Eastridge. This is church because we are people gathered under the lordship of Jesus Christ here to worship him. The church is not a location, it's a people. And Paul's image of, head, of body, he takes a step further and he says Jesus is the head over it. He's the king over his people. See, Jesus as head is, 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 a, is a picture of Jesus' leadership over the church. We get our marching orders from him. He, he kind of gives direction to the church. And, and Jesus as the head, as church, is also a picture of Jesus providing for us and maintaining us as a church. Jesus meets our every need as the people of God in this Woodbury location. And so here's my favorite part. Here's my favorite part. Look at the second phrase. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first to resurrect from the dead. He is the guarantee that there is a resurrection. He is a guarantee that there is a hope. He is the model of what you and I will become because of our hope in him. He, he's the first new creation. He's the first new man. He's, he's the first of what it's like, of what we're going to be like, where sin does not affect us in our lives. So remember what firstborn means? The rights and privilege of a king. The rights and privilege of a king. Jesus is the ruler, the king, and the lord over the new creation, which means he's the lord over, over redemption. And so why? Why is this important? Why is it important that he's a firstborn from all, of all creation and he's a firstborn of the resurrection from the dead? Why is that important? It tells you. Look at the, the next part of verse 18. It says that in everything he might be preeminent. So preeminent means first, prime time. Right? God, God wants Jesus to be first, on top. Why? Why is that important? Jesus being Lord over redemptions means that he gets the right to decide how forgiveness and how peace with God is dished out. Because he died on the cross, he gets, he, gets, he gets the right. See, how is it possible that Jesus gives forgiveness when you deserve judgment? How is it possible that Jesus makes peace with God between you and God when you deserve for God to, to war against you? How is that possible? Verse 20, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, listen, making peace by the blood of his cross. So here's the answer. Jesus does it at the cross. Jesus as ruler and judge. Here's how he moves towards you. He moves towards you with redemption and reconciliation. 
by dying on the cross, Jesus flips judgment and wrath on its head, and he earns you, he gains you forgiveness and peace with God. See, Jesus, he, he doesn't pour judgment, he doesn't pour the judgment of God's wrath on people right now. He, he's going to bring that later on the last day. Okay, like he, that, that's coming at some point. But right now, Jesus brings judgment and wrath together in one instance on himself. And by dying on the cross, he causes a ripple effect of forgiveness and peace that disperses from him. So the way that you can have forgiveness, peace, and peace with God is that Jesus took your sin on him at the cross and dispenses forgiveness and peace by faith in him. And so here's what I want us to think about right now about what I just said, about what this text is saying, that you need Jesus to be both Lord over creation and Lord over redemption at the same time. You, you need both of those. Lord over creation means that Jesus gets the right to be ruler and judge. Lord over redemption means that, that Jesus gets the right to be forgiver and peace giver. And if you take one of those away, you lose something. You lose something about Jesus. If you take Jesus as ruler and judge away, all you have is a hippie. All you can do, all he can do is make you feel good on, on the surface level, but he, he really can't save you from the wrath of God. Okay? But, it, but if you take away Jesus as forgiver and peace giver, then all you have is a judge. He'll take a look at your track record of your whole life, of, of all your sins that you've committed, and the thing that he won't give you is mercy. So if you, take, if you take either one of those two things away, you lose something. And so how do you view Jesus this morning? Is Jesus someone that you live in constant fear of? Because you, you kind of feel like he's, he's going to shame you because of all your guilt and sin. And my friend, if that's you this morning, if, if, if you live in this constant fear as if Jesus is going to forget you, as if he's going to let go of you, then you need to hear that Jesus is forgiver and peace giver. God is not out to crush you. He's not. He's not out to slam you. This is what you need to hear. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, or he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You need to hear Ephesians 2, 4-5 but God being rich in mercy, I would say wealthy in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, the firstborn from the dead. By grace you have been saved. One more. You need to hear this. First Corinthians, or First John 1 John 1.9 tells you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus will not turn away anyone who runs to him and confesses their sin. He won't. Jesus strong and kind. Maybe you're on the other side of this, and so maybe you view Jesus as someone to take advantage of. Maybe you, you think you can just abuse his grace as if because you know he's going to be gracious, you can just kind of go on and live a sinful life. And you need to hear 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You need to hear Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
that the reason why God is so gracious and merciful to you right now, the reason why God doesn't slam you right now in judgment is because his kindness to you is meant to lead you to repentance, to see the goodness and graciousness of God, that you would run towards him, realizing that he's loving you even though you don't deserve it. So without Jesus being ruler and judge, you have a weak gospel. Without Jesus being forgiver and peace giver, then you're still guilty in your sins, and you have no one to bring you at peace with God. That's what that means. Paul's point in verse 19 through 20 says, though, that Jesus is enough, and he's what you need. Look at those verses. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, fullness is used in the Old Testament to talk about God filling the temple. So in Ezekiel 44, 4, it says, I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And it's the same idea with Jesus. So Jesus not only reflects who God is, it doesn't, he doesn't just reflect God's glory. All the fullness of God and what God is dwells in Jesus. All wisdom, all power, the Holy Spirit, and God's glory rests in Jesus. This is saying that Jesus is God. All that God is, is in Jesus. Jesus is 100% God while being 100% human. I don't really know how God made that math to work, but he did. That Jesus would be both 100%. So there's like only 100% that I can think of. But somehow Jesus can be both 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And this same Jesus, he stops all rebellion against God. He reconciles all things to himself. He causes the rage of God's wrath to be calming river. Jesus. So for believers, those who hope in Jesus, that means that you get to experience present peace with God the Father as as loving father and friend. But for the non-believer, for someone who doesn't hope in Christ, if that's you in this room, it means that your rebellion against God is not the last word. Anyone who doesn't submit their life to Jesus ultimately pays a price for rebellion, and it means that you can't interrupt God's plans for the church. God will have his way. Jesus, at some point, will right every wrong on the day of judgment when he calls all things to account. So Jesus is Lord over creation and redemption. Both. (laughs) Ruler and judge, forgiver and peace giver. Those are two meaty, mind-blowing ideas about Jesus that make up this gospel sandwich. So are you hungry for it? So the question I think we have to answer this morning is, what does that mean for you and me? What, what does this mean that Jesus is this, um, is this gospel sandwich of Lord over creation and Lord over redemption? What does this mean? Look at, I think look at verse 21 through 23. We'll see it there. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The story of every person in this world is that everybody starts alienated and hostile to God. Everybody's a born sinner. That's everybody's identity. 
And sin is sin because it's a breaking of God's centered. We kind of know that. We break God's laws, his rules, and you're a sinner. But sin is also sin because of our heart's attitude towards God. We, we have hostile hearts towards God. The reason why you and I sin is because our hearts, apart from Jesus, are hostile to God. That's why we sin. It's not simply because we just think the rules aren't fair. Our hearts are hostile towards him. You alienate yourself from Jesus because of your hostile heart towards God. Because, let's just be real, you want your elbow room. You don't want nobody telling you what to do. <laughs> you want your own personal bubble, am I right? You want your space. That's why you're excited when you're a teenager to leave home. Because you think you're just like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to eat all the ramen noodles I can possibly eat. I don't want to have anybody telling me what my diet is. And boy, you're going to miss that diet, man. You're going to miss mommy and daddy. Um, but apart from Jesus, this reality of your hostile heart, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is you right now. This is you. If your face not in Jesus, this is you. But listen to the good news of the gospel. Do you remember verse 22, what it says? Just glance at it quickly. Jesus, he, the Lord over all creation, the Lord of redemption, he breaks down the hostility and the alienation in his body by his death. The gospel is that you were hostile and you were alienated, but Jesus breaks down the hostility by taking your hostility to the grave. He ends your alienation between you and God and brings peace and forgiveness and restores you to your relationship with God. You just, you just got to think really quick about like, okay, so you're, you're, you start as an enemy of God and, and, and God is feeling that from you and, and how does God respond to you? How does God win this war? Do you think he comes down with a massive sword and just slices it and just says, I win? Look at how he responds to you. The way he wins is by death. Not your death, his death. Right? So, so just listen to what this is saying. God dies for his enemies. <laughs> He dies for the people who are warring against us, or against him. Think about what kind of God this is. It's amazing. And look at how he reconciles you to God. He brings you up to God and he says, look, Dad, clean. I made her clean. I made him clean. Look, Dad, I, I made them clean. See, Jesus, he doesn't just kind of like wipe you off, clean the dust off your clothes and says, okay, buddy, there you go. You're on your way. Here's what Jesus does. He takes you by the hand to the Father, and he shows you that all, that the Father is pleased with you, that he is satisfied with you. He says, look, Dad, he, he is yours now, and, and you are his, and, and now there's peace. Jesus doesn't leave you. Present you holy and blameless and above reproach means that Jesus brings you to the Father, and he presents you as if you have never done anything wrong, as if you had never sinned. Like right now, you stand before the Father. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you stand before the Father as if you have never done anything wrong and you know that's not true. That's crazy. Ridiculous. Borderline stupid. Right? Seems like a bad idea. But Jesus thought it was awesome. It's beautiful. that you would get to stand before God as if nothing happened, as if there's peace with God because Jesus took all, all your wrath on himself. He took it with him on the grave. I don't know if that's mind-blowing to you, but that's amazing. 
that you get to stand before God right now as if you had done nothing wrong. Everything's all good. He loves you the same, proud of you. He says, son, daughter, I'm proud of you right now. Even though, even though he knows you're going to go screw up in a second here. Even though he knows that you're going to leave and just forget him. He's going to hold on to you, and he's going to see you as pleasing to him. as nothing you have done, all Jesus Christ. And he takes it to the grave. I think the hard part about saying that is I know that you'll leave and you'll just forget it possibly. And that you'll go on thinking that, forgetting, forgetting that the Father is pleased with you right now. It's probably one of the hardest things about preaching. I can sit here and just speak until I'm blue in the face, even though that's not possible for me personally. And you just, you just leave. And this is not about me. I desire for you to know the graciousness and loving kindness of God so that you would walk in that confident of, and firm in your sonship in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you. And you're so prone to wander from that. But you need to, you need to hear this. And you need to know how he does that. How is it possible that Jesus reconciles you through his body. How is it possible? How do you make this your own? How do, you, how do you hold on to this? How do you keep this? Verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I became, Paul became a minister. Here's the answer. You, you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. That's the answer. Faith means trust. You, you rely on, you, you depend on Christ. You depend on the hope that the gospel proclaims to you through Jesus Christ. And you keep this. You don't, you don't move. You don't shift. You don't move from that faith. That same faith, you don't move from it. You don't leave it. You don't budge. When you see things coming at you and attempts you to flee, when you hear Satan's voice telling you that, that you are not loved, you don't move from that truth that he reconciles you. You don't move from that truth that he's the Lord over redemption. You don't shift. No matter what anybody says, you don't shift from that. I don't care what they say. What Jesus says is true. You don't shift. You don't move. Stand firm. Keep going. Keep relying on Christ. You don't shift. I think sometimes when you read these verses, or when you read that if phrase, you can think that you can lose your faith if your faith is not strong enough, or as if you're, if you're not strong enough, you can waver. But Ephesians 2, 8, write that down. It makes it really clear for you. It says, faith is a gift that Jesus gives you that he, when he gives you a new heart. That faith is a gift. It's a gift to you, from Christ to you to keep and hold on to. Faith is not some kind of like strength you just need to muster up. Faith, faith is strong because of the one who you're putting your faith in. You're, you're not trying to hold on to Jesus. Jesus is holding on to you. And Jesus holds on to you by you trusting in his ability to hold on to you. So if Jesus says he's got you, he's got you. You hold on to Christ. So I think what Paul is saying in that if phrase is that, is that you have no hope apart from Jesus. This Jesus he described, you have no hope apart from him. If you shift from this faith, you've got nothing else, bro, or sis. You've got nothing else. And Paul says, here, if, he's basically saying if you don't, if you trust in something else, there's no hope for you to be reconciled. And your big problem is 
is where you stand with God, and the hope that Jesus gives is the deciding factor. Jesus, Jesus lets you know. And Paul says here that it's the same gospel that's being proclaimed all around the world. In verse 6, it says, this same gospel is producing faith and hope around the world. And like around the world for Paul really means like from Jerusalem to Rome because like you have to walk everywhere. But like that was the world to him. So if Jesus is not Lord over creation, then Jesus doesn't have the right to give anyone forgiveness and peace with God. If Jesus is not Lord over redemption, then all you get is judgment. And you have no hope of forgiveness and peace with God. So you need, you need both of these truths this morning. You and I, we need both of these truths because he is not one without the other. See, Paul's making a big deal about Jesus because these Colossian Christians were at risk of, of elevating angel worship over Jesus. And if they don't understand that Jesus is Lord over creation, then forgiveness and peace begins to mean nothing. So the size of the gospel you believe is all dependent on the size of the Jesus you believe. If you really think Jesus is that big, then the gospel will be so precious to you. <laughs> if you just know who Jesus is, if you believe him for who he is, the gospel will be precious to you. He not only decides how forgiveness and peace is, but he demonstrates how powerful it is. So I think every day, you and I, right, we're going to leave this space at some point, and you and I are tempted to think that Jesus is smaller than he really is. We're tempted to think that he really isn't ruler and judge. And so I think, I think sin becomes more appealing about, and, and what it looks like. And, and we try to put other things in its place. If Jesus is not ruler and judge, we just think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. And I'm going to go find something else. I'm going to go find a better hope. I'm going to value other people's opinion. Because if I don't view Jesus as judge, then, then he doesn't matter. If he's not ruler, if he's not Lord over creation, then he doesn't matter. And at the same time, we're tempted to believe the opposite, to think that if he really isn't forgiver and peace giver, we'll try to hide. We won't confess our sins. We won't expose them. We won't walk into the light because we'll be paralyzed by our past and present sin. When we don't think Jesus is forgiver and peace giver, we distance ourselves from people. We distance ourselves from Jesus. We think people are going to reject us or we think Jesus is going to reject us. So do you see why these matter? Just in these few verses, do you see why it's important that, that Jesus is kind of like a lion? Looks really nice, soft, and cuddly, but will rip anybody apart if you get too close. That if you're not on that lion's side, then you're lunch meat. But he is both. He is a lion that knows how to be tame. He will defend you as his people. But one day, he'll let loose and bring judgment on all those who don't put their faith in him. And your only hope is Jesus as forgiver and peace giver, Jesus strong and kind. And so which truth do you need to be reminded of about Jesus this morning? Every one of us is in this place. We're either struggling with one or the other. And which one do you need to be reminded of? And if you're like me, you constantly need to be reminded of Jesus as forgiver and peace giver. It's my favorite part of the gospel because I need it, I need it so much every day. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I am not perfect. I drop the ball all the time. Just had a conversation about it with Lindsay yesterday. And in that moment, I needed to know that Jesus was forgiver and peace giver. Last night, right before I was going to preach. <laughs> this same text. 
Jesus as forgiver and peacegiver. But which one do you need right now? I want to encourage you guys that while, while Levi is singing, while Levi and the team are singing, that you would just sit and just speak these truths to yourself. That you would sit and meditate on these truths that Jesus is Lord over creation and Lord over redemption. But to remind you, you need both. Hold on to these. Store these somewhere. Put them in your back pocket. Put it on your iPhone screen or your, or your Android screen if you're not an iPhone user. I'll pray for you. Put it somewhere where you can remember it. But hold on to it. Because Jesus holds on to you if you hold on to him. He, he holds on to you. Not by the strength of your might, but by Jesus. By Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I just, I just want that reality of who you are to, to just really set on our hearts and Lord, please don't let us let, just please don't let us lose sight of you. We need you. Lord, we pray not just simply to ask you of things, Lord, but, but we pray to, to ask you to keep us. Lord, we have no good thing apart from you. There's nowhere else we could go but you. And I pray that you would show yourself to be true in that way this morning to us. Lord Jesus, that you would meet us where we are this morning with these truths, that we would celebrate you as Lord over creation and Lord over redemption, that we would love and delight in you. Lord Jesus, please, if you are an obligation to us, then change that quickly, shift that quickly in our hearts so that you are a delight, or that we just, we love being with you because of who you are. And I think the thing that hits me the most is, Lord, that you would not let us forget that you keep us before the Father holy and blameless and above reproach. That Jesus, because of you, the Father doesn't change his mind about us. That he still loves us. He is proud of us. He delights in us because of you. And I think so easily we forget that. And, and Lord, we need you to remind us of that. Lord, I love you so much. Thank you. Please do that in your name. Amen.